0: Hello and welcome to BA Brew. I'm Mike. I'm Niven. And I'm Lisa. And today we're talking about Niven's book, If You Don't Do Politics, Politics Will Do You, which uh, which was not a book that was on my reading list until um, Lisa wrote a review on it. Um, so Lisa, would you like to tell us a little bit about why? what was it about this book that caught your, your interest?
1: Yeah, sure. So about 18 months ago, um, I happened to see um, Niven being interviewed by a lady called Edwina Dunn um, who is the the founder of the Female Lead which is quite a, a prevalent um, campaign on LinkedIn. Um, a really interesting interview um, it actually led me to to purchase the book because something about Niven was so so honest about her political experiences over a career um, it, it was just fascinating you know the, how honest she was about things like um, challenges and say potential mistakes. I think it, it just really resonated with me at that point in my career, um, just to see how other people felt, and the fact that you, you can't, you can't, once you get to a certain level in an organization, you can't actually avoid politics any longer. It's something I've been naively trying to do for quite some time. Um, I think at that point, I realised I couldn't do it anymore. I needed to um, ethically um, engage in politics and, and protect myself um, and my team. So that's kind of led me to, uh, to actually watch, watch the interview. Um, yeah, like I said, then I went on to read the book. Um, it's only a relatively short read, really digestible, but, but packed with um, useful insights and experiences. Um, and again, just, just that uh, it reassures you that it, ethically from an ethical standpoint it's okay to engage with politics for those reasons um but it also it made clear to me that hard work wasn't enough i had to i had to think about my approach my attitude um and, and the quality of relationships that i had uh, it wasn't just about the work anymore that, that i was delivering um after actually the reason i brought it to to the attention of assist and obviously to, to the ba Brew um was that i'm, I'm a business analyst myself and i think the majority of, i think of our audience mike is is business analysts um so i thought actually they would really really understand and, and relate to this topic because ultimately we we are agents for change um and we wherever there's change there will be politics and it, the book is just a fantastic way of protecting yourself from, from that kind of problem yeah
0: i mean i, I as a um, I was saying earlier that it's, I've always said myself that I don't do politics and and actually reading the book, I realised actually I do do politics. What I don't do, and it's identified fairly early on, is I don't do the bad politics. That's the stuff that I try to avoid. So all of the, the Machiavellian stuff. Um, but Niven, uh, where, where did the idea come from for the book? Because it, uh, it was a, a lockdown project, I, I gather, from reading.
2: Yeah, well, thanks, Mike. Yeah. Um... So actually the book had been in the planning stages for a little while. Lockdown then just cleared my diary for three months. You know, I had tumbleweeds blowing through it um, and all my overseas trips were canceled. So then it it just uh, made it able to happen a lot quicker. But I had been lecturing on office politics for about two, three years at the time and the more I lectured and the more I heard people's stories and the more I used the basis of my stories and experiences to share with people some of the things that you know they really don't teach us at school, at university, even at business school. The more I realized, you know, there's real value in actually getting this message out, hopefully to a wider audience and even to delegates who come to my lectures and workshops, there's only so much you can cover in a day. And so the opportunity to write the book presented itself. And I really jumped at it because what I learned for myself, as Lisa so kindly said, came from the difficult experiences. I mean, the easy experiences, the successful experiences, the things you boast about on LinkedIn, the thing that your mother tells all of her friends about. I mean, those are those are wonderful and they're fine. But it's it's the times when you really are hitting your head against a brick wall, when things are very difficult, when things are very draining. That's where, in my experience, and in many people's experience, it was never the technical skills that were the issue. I had plenty of technical skills. I have even more now, a few years later. It was the political stuff that I wasn't getting right, that I wasn't understanding. And if I'd known some of the stuff then, it would have made things a lot easier and a lot more pleasant.
0: Yeah, and we we talk a lot about soft skills, and and this is this is one of those sort of essential soft skills that you don't realise you need until mm. until you have a problem. Um, so they are it's very very interesting, and as as Lisa says, it, it's a, it's a relatively short book, but it is packed with loads and loads of um, what two by two grids in there, and we do well. Lisa, what what are your thoughts we on the two love, by two grid?
1: Yeah, business analysts, we love a good quadrant. Yeah, you ticked all the boxes for us there, I think. <laughs>
2: Yeah, look, I'm an ex-strategy consultant, so we love them as well. And I knew that I was in trouble about 20 years ago when I was sitting working over a weekend. I mean, that was already a sign of trouble. But I classified all of my friends into a two by two matrix. And I thought, okay, we have a problem here. I think I need to, to look for another job.
0: So, so what did you do a three by three matrix or, or just say that you're not having any more friends?
2: No, I, I thought the mere fact that I'm thinking about my friends in this way is problematic. I need to get out of here. And I think the the dimensions were people I get to see and people I want to see. Something like that. And uh, yeah, on many dimensions, it was problematic.
0: Right. Yeah, that's that's not a grid that you want to be published, really, is it? That, that could be, you
2: know. <laughs> no, but I, like, I I mean, I'm grateful for the fact that you liked the, the matrices because, you know, a professor of mine at, at university said years ago, and he's absolutely right, of course, that all models are wrong. Mm-hmm. Some are just useful. Yeah. And I mean, I clearly they're wrong because you're taking huge complexity and you're trying to reduce it to four quadrants. But some of them are useful. And that was really my criterion for what I included in the book and what I didn't. I mean, nobody wants to read a Ph.D. I've, I've started my Ph.D. this year, and I'm fairly sure that my even my mom is not going to read it. Because she gave up on my master's <laughs> stuff, my 10 pages. So my supervisor and maybe some academics who are as interested in the subject as I am are the only people who are likely to read it. So what I wanted in the book was not stuff that was intellectually interesting and intimidatingly impressive. I mean, if it is all of those things, fine, but actually the primary thing is, is it useful? If I had read this, if I had not just read it, but listened to it in the times when I was having difficult experiences and clashing, would it have helped? Would it have raised some flags, some alarms, some awareness? And if the answer was yes, well then I put it in the book. If the answer was no, I kind of filed it under interesting for my PhD but not useful for a book. So I'm, I'm delighted that uh, at least that part of it
1: uh, landed. I have to say my um, in, in terms of the quadrants, my favorite was the, uh, the four types of political player where oh. you've got your, uh, you've got your winner. You're sociopath than doing and it's interesting. So when when I go through it, you, you do recognise painfully yourself in a few of those, and you also recognise, like, say, friends and perhaps colleagues, team members, things like that. Uh, but it's just yeah, it's just fascinating approach. Yeah. Well, <laughs> actually, sorry, carry on, Mike.
0: I was going to say the language of that grid um, sort of uh, chimed with me a bit because there's only one quadrant you'd want to be in. You don't want to be the sociopath, the martyr or the dimwit, do you? You really don't. So you've got to be. It's all about being a winner, isn't it?
2: Yes. And, you know, what, what I stress is, of course, we can all be our best and worst selves in different situations, different contexts. I mean, frankly, we can go from one meeting to the next and show up as a better or worse version of ourselves. So, of course, there are different stresses and and pressures and hot buttons that will bring out the best or worst in us. But I think I often say in lectures, look, hand on heart, I cannot honestly think of a time when I was a sociopath. And I would be devastated, really devastated if somebody who ever worked with me or for me, came to me at any point uh, in the future and said, actually, when you were doing this and I was working with you, you were a sociopath. So for those people who haven't read the book, a sociopath, uh, it's all about themselves. You know, it's about their personal goals and and the organizational and, and, and what it's trying to achieve are really irrelevant. Whereas a winner, it's both their personal goals and the organizational goals and trying to match both of them. So I would be devastated to be told I was a sociopath. But I can absolutely tell you about times um, when I was a complete and utter dimwit. I mean, dimwit doesn't even begin to describe it. Martyr, less so, um, although I've heard a lot of people in my lectures, particularly women, suddenly get an intake of breath and think, you know, this is is what I'm doing. Uh, This is who I am. And if this is who I choose to be, well, fine. You know, it's your life, it's your career. For heaven's sake, these choices are yours. But when it's a creeping non choice, that you've just made through habit and unquestioning uh, kind of approaches to life and work and you suddenly see this and you don't want that well then this is an opportunity to think about it differently and yeah the political winner stuff um look i would have been in that quadrant a lot more if i would read this book before <laughs> i had to write it to figure out how i could have done those things differently
0: yeah, it's, um, it's interesting that bit about context, because you could be in different areas uh, on that quadrant in, in different contexts. And I suppose if predominantly you're in one area, then that's, yes. that might, that if, if that's either the martyr or the path or the dimwit, then maybe you need to think a little bit more about how you move more into the, the winner area more of the time. But yeah, I've definitely seen some of those different um, situations and experience being in but again, I don't. I hope I've not been in the sociopath uh, section before, but um, um, maybe today I'm proving it is because this is not about you. This is about me. This session, so maybe, <laughs> maybe this is brilliant. Look
2: there, Mike.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get all these messages afterwards saying, "Oh yes, yeah, you're yeah, definitely the sociopath." <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't know what you mean, though. I mean, I've, I've, I've done. Same, same again. I don't think I've been in the social I don't think I have, but certainly I've definitely been a master before, possibly been with once or twice as well. You yeah. um, know, only reflecting back over previous experiences, but it's, it, it can feel a little bit harsh, but I think it's it's good. It feels like it's a good for the self awareness, aren't they, of your career and yourself? Yeah, it is. So that's why It's really helpful
2: for me. Yeah. No, absolutely, and I mean, I hope what I get across in the book um, is look. I really have um, no wish or desire in my life to wake up and be a completely disengaged cynic. I mean, really, I love what I do. I love what I get to do. I love being effective in the world and hopefully making small islands of sanity with my clients and my friends and my community. So cynicism has no appeal to me, but is similarly you know, kind of completely wide eyed, naive idealism. Well, that doesn't help anybody either. And so somewhere in the middle, hopefully if we can get a little bit pragmatic and we can get a little bit empirical about how these things work and the fact that we're never going to escape politics. So how do you play it? How do you play it on your terms? How do you play it effectively? Not just for yourself, but for people who are counting on you. I mean, your team needs you to lay the groundwork. They need you to open doors, to sell ideas so that they can deliver. This is not just about you. And what I I say often is, you know, all organizations, all teams, all departments, all functions, I mean, whatever units of analysis you want, they all have two sides to them. And the one side is the formal side, the delegations of authority, the organogram, the standard operating procedures, the KPIs. I mean, the list is long. And, And of course that side is real. And of course that side matters. But there is a whole other side, and that's the informal side. And that's never written down anywhere. And that's not codified, but it is as real as the formal and in highly politicized organizations, it's more powerful than the formal. And so if you choose because you're a martyr, because you're a dimwit, not to get involved in that side, well, again, you know, it's entirely your choice, but frankly, it's like choosing to play tennis on half the court, uh, soccer on half the field, because those two exist Organizations are power structures. They are political arenas because there are finite resources, finite opportunities, uh, and infinite demands and perspectives on how they should be used. And so in that, if you are thinking, and that's also a huge mistake, if you are thinking that your work will speak for itself, well, really, you need to think again because work doesn't speak, people speak. And so who is speaking for you? or conversely who is speaking against you in those closed door discussions because frankly you know some of the if not all of the most important decisions of your career are going to be made when you're not in the room so who is in the room for you is not just a function of your technical ability it's a function of your political ability and your political relationships And this this often comes as as quite a shock and a surprise to people because we like to think, well, what I see is what I get. And well, this was my job description and I'm doing it and that's enough. Well, perhaps in an ideal world, it would be enough. But in this world, it's not enough. You need to have those coalitions of support. You need to have those relationships, particularly if you are coming in to effect change. Because effecting change is always about upending vested interests and power structures. And nobody's going to allow you to do that if you don't have the right stakeholders on board.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think and that that's a fantastic analogy as well. Really great analogy. It's um, yeah. It's, it's a love the version book. of the book.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of um, a lot of things there that really sort of ring true with um, what we try to do as, as BAs. So, so we do use formal networks. So I, I did a course. a few years ago on on informal networks and it it was quite an eye-opener to realize how much other decisions are being made how much discussion is going on that's not through the normal structures and if you don't engage with those other structures um you're you are missing you're missing out on a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity um i I really liked I, i found the book really accessible and there's lots of good stuff in there um and it was really um it really opened my eyes to certain areas that I'd not really thought about. And actually I think, well, I could have handled these things differently had I had some awareness of that. So i definitely recommend uh, reading it. And even if you don't apply everything, if you start applying some of the things from the book, some of the um, the various self-assessments that you can go through, um, it can only help you. It can only make things a little bit easier for you. As I say, there were lots of things I thought, I wish I'd realised that, that if I just got into that person's head a little bit more and understood their perspective... Um, that might have might have ended up a, a more uh, suitable outcome than than it turned out.
2: Oh, absolutely. Look, I mean, I think for me, um, it's you know this question of the counterfactual of what might have been um, was something I really had to grapple with in thinking about both this course and putting it together and in the book. And and certainly there were some times that I can think of that were really painful. And, you know, needn't have been. So exactly to your experience, Mike, or needn't have been quite as painful. So I think for me, it's it's always about two things, helping people to develop both political will and political skill. And, and one of the key ways, I think, that I try to help people develop at least some degree of political will is to bust some of the myths that exist around politics. And I mean, you mentioned them this idea that only a raving psychopath who's only interested in themselves is going to get involved in politics. And you know what? I try to um, think that I'm a decent human being. And so, of course, well, if politics are only the toxic and Machiavellian and and hideous and abusive, well, clearly, as as a somewhat nice human being, I'm going to run them up. And, you know, I've always thought that one of my key values, not thought, I've known that one of my key values is integrity. And so, I have seen stuff happen in an organization where as an executive on a Friday and I resigned on the Monday without a job lined up because I thought I am not complicit in this. I'm going, it wasn't illegal. It wasn't immoral. It was just, no, I've resigned from a position as well. Two months before my bonus was due and it was a nice bonus because I thought I wanted to send you a signal here of what is going on and what I'm not prepared to accept. So, you know, integrity matters to me. And if you had told me a few years ago that I could hold on to integrity and get involved in this morass of toxic mess, I would have said, forget it. Because I had that single simple story that politics is only the negative. And as you so rightly said, it's the range of things that happen to allow us to influence people, sell our ideas, the range of things that I said that happen in the informal space. You know, those elements of power and relationships and influence and the perception that people have of you. And then similarly, how you can use those things from the people who are on your side, who are in your coalition of support so that your political capital gets amplified by theirs. Or again, as I said before, and I'll always say, or your political capital gets diminished by their lack of political capital or the fact that somebody with more political capital than you really is not particularly supportive of what you're trying to do.
0: Yeah, I like that that uh, that idea of the political will and then developing political skill. What what I'd pre- sort of I'd preface that with political awareness to start with, because actually yes. I don't I don't think I had the the level of awareness I needed in some of these situations. So if you've got if you can build your awareness, and yes. when you've when you've got that awareness, you can think well, actually I need to be part of this. So you develop the will and then move on to build the skill. Yes. Yeah, Lisa, Lisa, what what are your thoughts?
1: No, no, I agree. I was just I, thinking. Uh, I wish, I wish I'd read the book. Yeah, I wish the book had been available years ago. Because you know, when you read through it, you, you do, you do think about times when you could have handled things a lot better, or you, you recognise yourself in certain situations. Um, yeah, I just think it's one of those things. I wish I'd had that resource a long time ago. Because, like you say, there's not many places where you can learn this stuff. You know, unless you've no. got a friend who's really savvy or a parent who's in the same kind of yeah. uh, line of work as you you know you don't uh, oh a fantastic mentor we, we don't all always have those people um in our lives to help us with that so i think that the book is fantastic um on that that basis as well yeah it's
2: interesting i was speaking to a colleague the other day and i mean look some of it is just when you're starting out in your career you have to learn some things um the hardware, but I was speaking to a colleague the other day who, who said he needed to sit his daughter down and he gave her a copy of my book. He said, look, you need to just get a little bit more politically smart here, my, my darling. This is your first job. You are not the center of the universe. You're going to need to get a little bit uh, more sussed than you are because she came back from her first day at her first job and she was horrified, absolutely horrified. And he said, well, what was so bad about the first day? And she looks at him and said, dad, nobody knew who I was. And I thought, well, that's, a, that's maybe an a over-expectation. I mean, the immediate people knew who she, were, she was and they were welcoming her, but nobody else knew that I had arrived. I mean, we're talking about a 23-year-old grad. Um, I thought that was hilarious. I thought she had a few things to learn.
1: Yeah.
0: She's a copy
1: of the book. Go on, Lisa. Sorry, no, I was just saying she a copy of the book. <laughs> yes. That. Well, Absolutely. fortunately, he gave her one.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, I think this is one of those things that's that's a really um, uh, transferable skill. This is this is something you can apply yeah. in a, a work environment. You can do it in personal environments with uh, clubs and friends, and uh, I'm um, involved in various different groups of things. And you think actually, yeah, I can see how that applies in this situation and how it's differently in, in other situations. So it's not something that is just about work. It's it's across. It's it's a life skill, isn't it? It's something yeah. that um, is you do need to make the most of it and, and apply it because otherwise you're just going to be carried along by everybody else. So as yeah. you say, politics will do you and we don't, we don't want that.
2: No, absolutely, Mike. Um, you know, I sometimes say to people, I don't know about your parents, but certainly my parents taught me what I think many parents teach their kids, which is that we should treat other people the way that we would like to be treated. Well, in fact, that's wrong. I mean, it's, it's, it's lovely sounding, but it's wrong. Actually, we should be treating people the way they want to be treated. And a lot of this stuff is about understanding what the world looks like from somebody else's perspective, mm. having that curiosity, having that understanding, not letting your ego stand in the way because you're the technical expert and that's what you were brought into. As another lecturer of mine said once, you know, coming into situations and quieting your cleverness to understand, you know, there is more going on here than just what I can see, what I can bring. And so what is going on here? What does matter? What are those conditions that I'm going to need to meet if I'm going to have these allies? What are some of the conditions that if I don't meet, I'm gonna start building adversaries? You know, this is is actually quite an analytical thing. And Mm. in its analytical nature, it can potentially sound, and certainly it can potentially become manipulative. It doesn't have to be. If it starts from a place of intense curiosity, and what Stephen Covey speaks about, this kind of win-win approach to life. Absolutely courage for yourself and what you want and what you're wanting to achieve. But balancing that courage with consideration for what other people are trying to achieve. Mm. And yet how many times, you know, we will treat work like school. I think it's just about me. There's one perfect answer. There's one right answer. And off we go. Work is not school. Particularly the more senior you get. Because the more senior you get, it's the people below you who are doing the technical work. You are having to navigate the landscape, and if you wanna use a more negative word, lobby. If you wanna use a more positive word, um, socialize. These things happen, and they need to happen, given my point that I said earlier about finite resources. And yet, because of the connotations that we have, we can often shy away from any sense of it. I don't care, frankly, what word people use about this. I said to people, look, if politics is so ingrained in you that you can't get over the aversion to what it implies, no matter what I say, who cares? You're not writing a test. You're trying to be effective. And so call it whatever you want. Call it managing stakeholders. Call it building strategic relationships. Call it being deliberate about my influence. But Call it uh, bringing together coalitions of support. Doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. And they're all equally necessary to help you be effective. And uh, as I say, help your team be effective.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things, well, one of the many things that chimed with me was, was this, um, the idea of fixed mindset versus growth mindset, because you can go into a situation thinking, I'm just going to do this the same old way. This is the way I do things, uh, that very fixed mindset. And that isn't going to work in, in, in all situations. It probably doesn't work in many situations if you just go in with a closed mind about stuff. But with a growth growth mindset approach, you can sort of say, well, I'm always going to be learning stuff here. And actually, that's important in in these sort of politicized uh, environments, which all environments are to some extent.
2: Yes, yes. No, absolutely. Um, Sometimes, well, actually, quite often the question comes up, can I do this stuff and still be authentic? Because I think we all um, would like to feel that um, we express our values, we live our values, and, and that requires a degree of authenticity. And I mean, I think the two are perfectly compatible. Um, and yet, like I said, I think a lot of people see them as mutually exclusive. But what I say is, well, what does authenticity mean? And actually, particularly as you become more senior, but not only, you know, authenticity is about being authentic to what the situation requires. And what the situation generally requires is that you need to be effective. Now, sometimes... You have to make a trade-off between being right, in inverted commas, technically right, against being effective. Because the technically right might stand you in some stead, but the being effective with and through other people and relationships is going to stand you in much greater stead. And so I can think of a time in my experience and in my career where I moved to the South African Reserve Bank, which is our equivalent of the Bank of England, brought into a very senior position there, and I had been CEO of two very large NGOs in the country beforehand. And so all of the things that my boards loved about me, which is i make decisions, I get things done, we deliver our feedback to the board, um, suddenly I had an awareness, hold on a second, uh, exactly the same behavior that's been lauded and praised for years is really not working here. Because actually, I'm getting a whole bunch of tweezer lips and screensaver expressions from people who are looking at me thinking um and who do you think you are and are you trying to run the bank single-handedly and i had to learn very quickly hold on a second in this context in this environment the things that served me before are not going to serve me and if i'm going to be effective here i'm going to have to tone it down and to have to take a step back and i'm going to have to adjust to not only the pace, but the culture of, of this organization, because I want to be effective here and this is not cutting it. And I think that's part of what we all need to ask ourselves You know, when we go into organizations. Look, if you don't want to be in a place, well, then you need to look for another role. But if you do want to be in a place, what's it going to take to be effective in this place? And how do I use my values to modify my approach to be effective? I have a friend um, who's interviewing for a very senior position at the moment um and she's not asking questions around the stock options and the bonus and all of that I mean those are there but they're hygiene factors the primary question she's asking of herself as she's meeting more and more of the other executives is do I want to become like these people and if the answer is no well then run for the hills because then literally (laughs) Um, If you take on that job, your job and your salary, your salary in particular, it's not going to be remuneration. It is literally going to become compensation for what you're having to put up with and who you're becoming in the process. So if the answer is no, run. But if the answer is yes, or the answer is I want to be effective with these people, well, then, you know, you're going to probably have to adjust and modify as you go through your career because contexts need different things from us at different times.
0: I really feel like I'm going to have to be a sociopath now because I'm I'm afraid that, uh, <laughs> it, that we can talk about this for for hours. It seems mm. it's loads of stuff, but we're going to have to have to draw things to a close, which is unfortunate. I think we uh, I'd love to hear more about the uh, was it tweezer lips and screensaver faces. They're not uh, not uh, analogies that I've come across before, but uh, I can I can imagine I can imagine those. Um, can I say a, a big thank you to Niven for joining us today on on the Brew? Um, if anybody uh, listening or watching has any ideas for future episodes, then, then please email us at babrew at assistkd.com. Thank you very much for listening and uh, see you again soon.